The Brian McClanahan Show, episode 310. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to The Brian McClanahan Show. Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Brian McClanahan. Like my Facebook page at Brian McClanahan. And of course, subscribe to my YouTube page at Brian McClanahan, where you can watch this podcast. You can find all those social media accounts on my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's B R I O N McClanahan.com. While you're there, give me an email address and I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, and a free audiobook of the same title read by yours truly. You can support the show by going to McClanahanAcademy.com mclanahanacademy.com, where it's always free to enroll. When you do enroll, you get a free class. So it's a great win-win for you. You can also purchase one of my classes there. You can support the show that way and get some awesome educational content at the same time. You can also go to brianmclanahan.com forward slash support. You can throw a few pennies my way, help keep the lights on, help keep the podcast going. You can go to anchor.fm. You can do the same thing. You can support the show there. You can go to brianmcclanahan.com and click on the shop tab and get your Brian McClanahan Show logo and all kinds of cool stuff, plus the Think Locally, Act Locally logo as well. A lot of people are buying stickers of that, sticking it on their car. It's cool stuff. And you can also go to Learn True, T-R-U-E, LearnTrueHistory.com. That's my affiliate link for Tom Woods Liberty Classroom. It's another great educational website. There's all kinds of great stuff out there to support the show, keep the podcast going, If you like it, also rate it wherever you get your podcast. Share it on social media. Do all you can to help spread the message of Think Locally, Act Locally, and increase the audience. Organic growth is the best growth. So do what you can. I appreciate it. Also, send any show recommendations that you have if you want to hear me talk about something. I do read them. I may not always respond, but I do read them. So I do appreciate that. I do appreciate every one of you that listens to the show and and has been dedicated to this show now for over four years. In fact, this particular episode today is uh, a listener-generated episode. In fact, it's going to piggyback on something I did all the way back in 2016, episode 51, in fact. So here we are, over 300 episodes in. So we're going back along, to, going to the archives for this. But um, episode 51, I talked about the 2016 election and how I would vote based on where I was living. And I know when I did the last episode on Justin Amash, people, some people loved it. Some people didn't like it at all. They didn't like that I was critical of Justin Amash. Uh, And uh, I mean, hey, this is why politics are what they are. People don't like what you have to say about something. Sometimes they do. But one comment, of course, was I think instructive. If If you're a libertarian and you live in a state that's quote-unquote safe. Now, if you're going to vote libertarian, you should do it anyways, no matter what the outcome is going to be at the, at the federal level. If that's what you believe and vote principle, well then, I mean, it doesn't matter if Joe Biden or Donald Trump wins the presidency because you're not going to like either of them. So, I mean, if you're going to vote principle, then you should vote libertarian no matter what, no matter if your one vote is going to tip the election in favor of Donald Trump or Joe Biden you should still seriously consider voting for whoever you want to vote for. Now, in that particular episode, episode 51, I did talk about how you have safe states and non-safe states and where you could vote your conscience more reasonably if you did think that, you know, Hillary Clinton would have been terrible 
and you didn't want to swing the election for Clinton. And we know that in a couple of Midwestern states, it was essentially counties that swung the election for Donald Trump uh, and allowed him to pick up those electoral college votes. But I want to talk about another third party, and that is the Constitution Party. Now, full disclosure, this is the first time I'm going to t- say this on this podcast. People have asked, <coughs> asked me, who do you vote for? Full disclosure, since 2004, I have voted for the Constitution Party in every single presidential election. Okay, so full disclosure, um, I have voted for that candidate. Now, there's a reason for that. Since 2004, <laughs> I've lived in states that are essentially safe. One, in the first case, 2004, I did not. In fact, in 2004, <clears throat> I was living in Florida. But I have voted for the Constitution Party since 2004 in every presidential election because uh, I don't vote Republican. Uh, I just don't. Um, now, on the, for congre- on the congressional ballot, Senate, I mean, there's not really a whole lot of choice. I can choose not to vote, which I think a lot of people are doing because they don't want to legitimize the process. And by voting, you legitimize the process. And I respect that. I also respect people to vote for Libertarian Party, whatever. If you are a principled person and you don't believe that the two-party system represents you, and you don't believe that either party represents your beliefs and your values, then you should vote third party if you're going to vote. So for me, it was a Constitution Party. And I'm going to go through the Constitutional Party platform and some of the things I I ardently disagree with in the Constitution Party platform. I think that they have some things wrong. Um, Most importantly, I think that their platform is far too nationalist. Uh, But it's interesting because, of course, back in, I I take that back, 2000, I said 2004, 2000, I voted for uh, Pat Buchanan and the Reform Party which the Reform Party, in many ways, in 2000, was very much like the Constitution Party of 2004. And, of course, uh, 2000, they were still, the, the Constitution Party uh, was still uh, running uh, Howard Phillips as their uh, presidential candidate, who was their candidate in, in uh, 92, 96, and 2000. Uh, 2004 is Michael Perutka, who took a lot of heat because he... Uh, um, essentially said that, you know, Southern symbols are okay. Uh, I'm, I'm fine with that kind of stuff. And, and so he, he, uh, the, the left leaning media and everything else just excoriated him for this. And Chuck Baldwin, who was uh, from the area of Florida in which I lived, uh, was the nominee, uh, in 2008. So, uh, Chuck Baldwin is still, uh, published every now and then on lewrockwell.com. He's since moved away from Florida. And I met Chuck Baldwin back in, it was probably 2000, um, when he was still just a, a pastor in a large church in, uh, in Pensacola, Florida. Um, and, uh, you know, he was nice man. Um, and, I, and there was a lot of discussion about, you know, where Chuck Baldwin fell on the political spectrum. But Baldwin certainly was... I think a, uh, and still is, a uh, a pretty good voice for uh, what you would often call paleoconservatism. I think that Baldwin fits that bill pretty well. Uh, but I want to go through uh, the uh, the platform of the Constitution Party and talk about 
I mean, because I actually had this question. What do you think of the of the uh, Constitution Party? And this is the 2016 platform. Okay, so, uh, you know, I, I'm sure the 2020 platform is going to be pretty similar. And when you go through this thing, and I'm going to go through the whole thing uh, in certain areas that I like and, and talk about these things, when you go through this, um, you wish that some of these things could make it into a mainstream party. We know that, for example, when we get to issues of war, and uh, we know that Ron Paul had a pretty substantial uh, influence in getting people to splinter off from the Republican Party uh, when he ran for uh, the Republican nomination. And this is where you know Daniel McCarthy, in the last episode, I talked about where he thinks that you should work through the major parties because you can get maybe changes to the platform put into uh, into the major parties if you mount enough of a following or get enough of a following, mount a pretty good campaign in the in the primary uh, part of the Republican nomination effort. But once you get a president, I mean, look, nobody could run against Donald Trump in the primary and make much headway at all. So once you have a person in the executive office, then you're not going to have any any influence. I mean, look, there was a reason why when you start with 2008 through 2016, when you had these wide-open Republican primaries, there was a reason why these things were so contentious, because you didn't have a Republican in the executive office. Once you get Barack Obama in the executive office, uh, you know they had a pretty wide-open primary in 08, but... Um, 12, nothing. And then uh, 16, of course, you had Bernie Sanders. And that was fairly uh, influential, substantial for the Democrats. Though, of course, the Democrats tried to do everything they could to get rid of Bernie Sanders and the Saint and the, and the Bernie bros and everything else. And I think they've done a pretty good job of that. Look, the Democrats want to be as mainstream as possible because they realize that most Americans are not far left. Most Americans are probably, and I mean, I think this is, they're in the center Maybe shading now a little more left of center. Used to be maybe more right of center. Uh, depends on where you are in the United States, of course, where, where you're going to fall. But the one thing I think about all of this is the fact that we have uh, too much nationalism in American politics. American politics is local. It always has been local. And we should be focusing on the local more than anything else. But if you're going to vote in a federal election, and I have, I mean... Vote your conscience. Um, if you really are principled and think, well, this is the person that would be the best candidate, then do it. Now, I have since 2000, since 2000, in every presidential election, uh, I haven't voted for the mainstream candidate in 20 years, and I, I won't this year either, I'm sure. But um, that's my stand on things. And people think I'm this because of some of the things I do and say I'm a, you know, I voted for Trump, uh, and <laughs> I just didn't. You know, so um, here we go. Now let's talk about um, the platform itself. This is 2016. It's interesting that the first plank of the platform, and they have their preamble, but the first one is sanctity of life. Now, um, what's interesting about this is the way that they push it and the way that they frame this particular issue in their platform. And they use, and the thing I like about the Constitution Party is 
that they're pretty solid on finding a constitutional justification for their platform and their positions. So in this particular case, they say Article 4 of the Constitution guarantees to each state a Republican form of government. Therefore, the, a Supreme Court opinion is binding on the parties to the controversy as the particulars of the case. It is not a political rule for the nation. Roe v. Wade is an illegitimate usurpation of authorities, contrary to the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution. It must be resisted by all civil government officials, federal, state, and local, and by all branches of government, legislative, executive, and judicial. Now, this is interesting. And I have a very good, some very good friends in Oklahoma, one um, who, uh, who was um, running for governor. And all of these individuals are now calling themselves abolitionists. And they're using the Declaration, not the Constitution, as their stance for essentially nullification of uh, abortion laws in the state of Oklahoma. Now... Um, Essentially, they're saying that, you know, because of the declaration, that this, there's some problems with this position, I, I would say. And one of them is the, is the proposition nation idea, because you're getting into that when you start to do this. And I think that's highly problematic. What they should do, what they should do is say that this is a Tenth Amendment issue. Now, you see, the con this is where I say the Constitutional Party is too nationalist. Now, you could say federal law in this regard, is completely unconstitutional. But state laws, as long as they don't violate the state constitutions, are not. This is a state issue. It always has been a state issue. It always will be a state issue. And they are correct that Roe v. Wade is non-binding on the other states. Uh, this was an argument actually made several times throughout American history that just because the Supreme Court has ruled or a federal court has ruled in a particular jurisdiction, it's non-binding on the rest of the rest of the of the jurisdictions or the United States as a whole, only on the people involved in that particular decision. Now, the immediate response to that is, well, then you're arguing against civil rights, because essentially this is the argument that was made in the 1950s and 1960s when it came to federal court decisions to strike down segregation laws. Uh, this is very true. But in that particular case. I mean, look, they're correct about this. If you look at American jurisprudence, if you look at the United States Constitution, if you, if you are interested in originalism, then uh, these were the correct positions to take legally. Now, we can talk about whether it's morally correct or not. Um, that's a whole other issue. But legally, uh, these, uh, these positions were consistent. Uh, and I, and that would be the position you should take if you're going to start opposing uh, this particular position. So in this case, the sanctity of life, well, you know, I think that they're almost there. They use the declaration as justification rather than just saying, look, and this thing is unconstitutional. All federal laws, I mean, they're going to say federal law based on the declaration. You can't do that. Uh, but it's unconstitutional because of the Tenth Amendment which they get into in the next particular plank, bring government back home. And they cite the Tenth Amendment to the Constitution. Now, they say, over time, the limitations of federal government power imposed by the Constitution have been substantially eroded. Hear, hear. Preservation of, the, of constitutional government requires a restoration of the balance of authority between the federal government and the states as provided in the Constitution itself and as intended and construed by those who framed and ratified that document. It's interesting they say ratified, not just framed, but ratified. 
They say, we pledge to be faithful to this constitutional requirement and to work methodically to restore to the states and to the people their rightful control over legislative, judicial, executive, and regulatory functions that are not constitutionally delegated to the federal government. Again, here, here. This is where I think that there are some arguments, this next part, where you can make some arguments against this position. Quote, we stand opposed to any regionalization of governments at any level which results in removal of decision-making powers from the people and those of the, or those directly elected by the people. Regionalization of governments. If you go back and you look at I'll Take My Stand, which is a wonderful book written in 1930, uh, one of the essays in there made an argument for regionalization of government because you do have regions, and perhaps uh, the southeast would be better to manage its own internal affairs, or the northeast would be better to manage its own internal affairs, or the west, or the far west, or what the west coast, whatever it would be. But regionalization of government may not be a bad idea. So certainly it's against, when you look at the federal structure, if you just want to say the states, you can't have regionalization. And of course, people would say, well, you can't do that because you can't have interstate compacts and all but certainly regionalization may not be a bad thing. Um, so I think that this is an interesting argument to make. Now, of course, from a federalist perspective, regionalization uh, might fail the sniff test, right? But uh, certainly um, regionalization is something we should be discussing. Uh, but you know, legally, we'd have to do some things differently. Character and moral conduct, they say the president should be of you know, good moral character. Great. I mean, that's fine. Um, so, um, congressional reform, uh, and they support, for example, the return, the the repeal of the 17th Amendment and, uh, the return of state control of the United States Senate. They say we support legislation to prohibit the attachment of unrelated riders to bills. Any amendments must fit within the scope and object of the original bill. Okay, I mean, you're talking about a presidential platform here. So this is kind of a strange thing to throw in. Um, now, if you're going to say this, is, uh, this applies to congressional candidates as well, I mean, you could say that. Uh, then this would be fine. Uh, they say we support legislation required that the congressional record contain an accurate record of proceedings. We seek to abolish congressional pensions and other benefits that extend beyond their term in office, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, they want to return a little more power back to the states when it comes to selecting U.S. senators. Uh, now, this one part, we support legislation to prohibit the attachment of unrelated riders to bills. Now, this is interesting uh, because what they're getting into here, of course, are earmarks. Now, earmarks aren't a bad thing if, if, they're, they're phrasing it incorrectly. Every bill should be an earmark. If I want to spend a million dollars studying the reproductive habits of rats in a United States lab, or I want to give that million dollars to some university to do this, I should explicitly state that and have an up or down vote on that each time I want to do it. Instead of having these omnibus bills where you have these large blocks of money that are just thrown out there for quote-unquote science or research or whatever the case may be. And then, of course, you get all these things and you get a lot of pork put in these bills. 
or you get these riders attached, and they're right to a big spending bill, and it just kind of, well, we got to pass the bill, so we got to get all this pork with it. This is where there's been an argument for a line item veto, and this is where we get into that particular argument. So what they should say here is every bill should be an earmark. We oppose any bills that are not explicitly stated as earmarks, or at least we're going to spend a billion dollars on this particular thing. We're going to spend a trillion dollars on this particular thing. Whatever it is, a million dollars on this particular thing. That's the way this should be done, and of course, they just don't do that. Now, I'm going to continue with this process in just a minute. I'm going to take a quick break. I'll see you on the other side of the break. We'll continue to talk about the Constitution Party. I'll see you then. Let me talk to you for a minute about McClanahan Academy. I know at the beginning of this particular podcast or this video, I talked about McClanahan Academy. But let me go into a little more detail about why I think you should sign up for it and why and why I created it. First, a little bit about me. I have a PhD in American history from the University of South Carolina, and I've taught in the college environment for 20 years. And I've seen college students get worse over time, the curriculum get worse, and students are being indoctrinated more than educated now in our higher education system, whether it's high school or college. So I wanted a counterweight to that. And this is why I created the McClanahan Academy. Now, first, it's always free to enroll at McClanahan Academy. You sign up. It's free. And I give you a free course, 10 Myths of American History, when you do sign up. So it's a great way to get an introduction to what I do. But I've got eight courses for sale there and more forthcoming. All of these courses are designed to give you the non-PC version of American history, to take the red pill, so to speak. And I've got two courses in particular, my U.S. History Survey courses, which are designed for homeschoolers. So if you're a homeschooler and you want a good curriculum, and uh, my family has homeschooled all of our children from the beginning, and you want a solid history curriculum, that's why I designed the United States History 18, to 1865 and 1865 to the present. You've got enough material, you've got lesson plans, you've got uh, tests, you've got reading material, you've got reading seminars, you've got 36 weeks, if you take them, buy them both, you've got 36 weeks of material, and it can be used as a high school history curriculum, or if you're just a lifelong learner, you can use it otherwise, but it's a great way to get a real history education devoid of Marxism and progressivism and political correctness. So sign up at mclanahanacademy.com. That's mclanahanacademy.com. Again, always free to enroll, and I'll see you there. All right, we're back talking about the Constitution Party, the Constitution Party platform, and what I think about several of these planks in this platform. This is from 2016 again. Remember, this is not the current platform. We don't know what that's going to look like. Uh, but from 2016, and uh, I want to go through, I mean, going through these things, uh, just briefly on some of the issues that I think that um, are quite good. Number one, conscription. I mean, they, they are against conscription. They, they cite the Fifth Amendment that prohibits conscription. They say we oppose imposition of the draft, the registration law, compulsory military training, or any other form of compulsory government service. I mean, here, here, this is a great position. Now, one that I do oppose the uh, Constitution Party on is their Constitutional Convention plank. They oppose a Constitutional Convention. This is the Phyllis Schlafly position that it will be a runaway situation. You might get a whole bunch of Bernie bros in there, and they're going to take the convention in a different direction. The, of course, all this would have to be ratified. So 
a convention of the states is not a bad idea, particularly if you can propose good amendments, which might actually make it through. So uh, I think it was, I, I went on the Tom Wood show years ago. I, I want to say it was, you know, I can't remember the date, but we talked about uh, the uh, the potential for a constitutional convention and certain amendments and if they were good or bad. Um, and, I mean, look, I think a constitutional convention would be a good thing. That's a very Jeffersonian position. You know, Jefferson was in favor of, of conventions or at least re- reforming the Constitution. We shouldn't be so, uh, you know, we shouldn't worship the document. There's flaws in it, and those flaws should be corrected. And I, And as I've made the case in my American Constitutions class, I think the Confederate States Constitution had some serious improvements over the U.S. Constitution, particularly when it came to the executive branch and some parts of the legislative branch, which I thought they they improved. Uh, of course, I know that's heresy to say that, that people could actually make improvements. But anyways, because, of course, it's the Confederacy as well. And anytime you say that word, uh, you should be uh, put in the gulag. Now, uh, the... Um, Cost of big government, you know, making reductions in spending. I mean, this is important. Um, they do say when it comes to crime, crime in most cases is to be dealt with by state and local governments. I mean, look, they say the degree that the federal government's legislation, judicial actions, regulations, and executive branch activities interferes with the ability of the people and their communities to apprehend, judge, and penalize accused lawbreakers. It bears responsibility for the climate of crime, which has grown more destructive with each passing year. I mean, look, there are too many layers of federal law. Um that's, I mean, there shouldn't be federal laws for all these things that the state's already handled. I mean, this is, this is, you could just put a plank in saying that most federal law is unconstitutional. Uh, now, what's also interesting in crime, they actually use St. George Tucker. Uh, I mean, this is amazing. This is one of the reasons why I like the Constitution Party platform. They're actually citing St. George Tucker in their platform in, in the uh, with crime. I mean, awesome. Uh, now, defense... Um, uh, they uh, they uh, say we oppose unilateral disarmament and dismemberment of America's defense infrastructure. Uh, we condemn the presidential assumption of authority to deploy American troops into combat without a declaration of war by Congress. Under no circumstances will we commit U.S. forces to serve under any fo- foreign flag or command. We oppose any new world order and we reject U.S. participation or, or relinquishing of command to any foreign authority. Uh, they say we should be a friend of liberty everywhere, but the guarantor and provisioner of ours alone. I mean, this is very much in line with a founding position, founding foreign policy position. Uh, they call all domestic federal aid illegal and immoral. Um, they uh, they essentially take a position of local. Think local, act local on drug abuse. The Constitution Party will uphold the right of the states and localities to restrict access to drugs and to enforce such restrictions. We support legislation to stop the flow of illegal drugs in the United States from foreign sources. As a matter of self-defense, regulatory policies, including embargo, sanctions, and tariffs should be considered. Now, um, I mean, this is if you're talking about borders, but... um, They are certainly much more in line with a de- a decentralization position on drugs than, say, the Republican Party. Though you do have some of the nationalism creeping into the platform in this particular case. Uh, education. 
again, um, they, they call on the states to, to go in and just nullify No Child Left Behind, and they say that education is uh, essentially the, a Tenth Amendment issue. I mean, they state it again. Um, they do say that they support, you know, they, they want to abolish the Federal Department of Education, federal control over education of children, et cetera, et cetera. So that's good. Um, they, uh, they support, again, the repeal of the 70th Amendment. They support the Electoral College. Uh, most of the time, they're citing the 10th Amendment when it comes to things like energy, the environment. Um, now, executive orders. Uh, we oppose the use of presidential executive orders that make law or otherwise usurp the constitutional authority and responsibilities of the legislative and judicial branches. Congress must stop this constitutionally subversive practice. All unconstitutional executive orders are null and void. I mean, here, here. Uh, in a foreign policy, they cite uh, George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, John Quincy Adams, and James Monroe. You could go down the list of presidents even following that that essentially followed a, uh, a foreign policy. You know, John Quincy Adams um, is problematic for a lot of reasons, which I get into in my American Presidents course. Uh, but he was certainly pretty good on foreign policy. Uh, and you use Washington, Jefferson, and Monroe, of course, all members of the founding generation. But uh, they do say things like uh, you know, abolish NATO, get rid of unde constitutional undeclared wars, uh, you know, stay out of foreign, uh, foreign entanglements, um, abolish the Export-Import Bank, get rid of foreign aid. I mean, all these things are great, which is why the Republican Party would never adopt this, because the Republican Party and the Democrat Party are fully invested in American imperialism. Um, except for, I mean, this is why Tulsi Gabbard was, you know, shunned out of the Democratic uh, race because she was not an imperialist. It's why Ron Paul had such a hard time uh, in the uh, uh, Republican primaries because he's not an imperialist. So this particular point uh, is great. Now, of course, the Libertarian Party essentially has the same position. So it just depends on what you want to do with this. Uh, I will say that the candidates, the, Con the Constitution Party, are running this time. I mean, they leave a lot to be desired. I, look, uh, the front-runner Blankenship is okay. I mean, um, he's just okay. Uh, he will speak his mind, and I think he does try to push buttons like Donald Trump does, but he just doesn't do it as well as Trump. Uh, Trump is the troller-in-chief. I mean, he, he is. Look, nobody trolls better on social media than Donald Trump. Uh, gambling. They have... A, they have uh, they have a gambling plank. And, of course, it's the 10th Amendment, right? The, the federal government shouldn't have any role in gambling. Um, they should have a free enterprise system. Uh, gun control, of course. Um, uh, this is interesting. Um, they call for federal, the, the repeal of federal firearms laws, like the Federal Firearms Act of 1968. Um, they don't say anything about states because you can't. Even though I think that they're taking a much more incorporationist position on the Second Amendment than they should because they don't cite the Tenth Amendment. So this is, this is interesting. Of course, health care and government, they get into the Tenth Amendment. Um, immigration. This is one area that, uh, again, uh, Trump was able to use successfully in 2016 to get people to vote for him, which the Constitution Party has been anti-illegal uh, immigration since essentially its inception. Um, 
they get into the fact that they believe that a lot of the illegal aliens are getting federal aid, which they already say is illegal and immoral, so that that shouldn't happen. Uh, they say that they oppose any extension of amnesty to illegal aliens. Uh, they ask for U.S. troops to propose against federal inv- or against invasion from illegal aliens, uh, bilingual ballots, all of these things. So they're very much uh, against illegal uh, illegal immigration. Um, they, uh, you know, this position. Uh, they say, when it comes to, to the judiciary, we particularly support all legislation which removed from federal appellate review jurisdiction matters in, in vo- in, involving acknowledgement of God as a sovereign source of law, liberty, or government. They cite Roy Moore and his support and his position to take or put the Ten Commandments there in the, uh, the Alabama Supreme Court, which, of course, was removed. What they should say here... Um, is that I mean they talk about uh, they talk about uh, impeachment for uh, for federal judges, which is a a good thing. Um, I would say this. I mean, what they should be talking about here is getting rid of provisions of the 1789 Judiciary Act, which of course was ex- was extended in other Judiciary Acts, for appeal of state court decisions to federal court. Only if it's a federal law in question. And then you should go right to federal court anyways. If you're opposing a federal law, that should be held in federal court. But you shouldn't be able to go and say, all right, I go through the entire state process, and then I'm going to appeal to the federal courts. This essentially was the major problem that the Virginia, uh, the Richmond Junto, they were were called, had with uh, the Supreme Court. It's why in Cohen's v. Virginia... Uh, they tried to block this, and of course, or, that led to that case. They were trying to block the ability to appeal to federal court state state decisions, state law. And this is where John Marshall in Cohen's v. Virginia said, uh, well, you can't do that. Now, that's John Marshall's opinion. There were those that said, you know, this is correct. You shouldn't be able to appeal a state decision to a federal court. It's not a federal issue. But... That's what happened. And so this is where they should be going, getting into that. Um, when it comes to banking, they, they prohibit fa- fractional reserve banking, repeal the Federal Reserve Act, uh, no, no system of debt money again. I mean, very much in line with uh, you know, a, um, a position of uh, fiscal restraint and anti-inflation. Um uh, let's see, uh, things like Social Security, you know, support individuals. I mean, all this stuff. I mean, now I want to get down to statehood and um, state sovereignty. Uh, they do oppose any uh, to convert statehood on District of Columbia, also Puerto Rico. Uh, and they say that each state should have, should be equal. Uh, in the, we support the equal footing doctrine, co-equal with the original 13 states for all states coming into having entered the, the union uh, as states. Uh, this is interesting because some people, and the, look, even Republicans, I think Bill Bennett was one recently that said this. I mean, um, I think, I'm trying to think, it's been years since I saw this, say recently, it's been uh, about a decade. But when there's arguments about secession, well, the original 13 states could certainly make a case for secession, but none of the other states because they were carved out of federal territory. I mean, this is just a stupid argument because states were admitted as on equal footing with existing states. 
and it didn't make them you know, lesser states. Uh, it didn't make them junior states. It made them states. And so they have all the same privileges as the existing states. Uh, state sovereignty or federal republic was created by joint action of the several states. Federal republic, I mean, that's a great language, has been gradually perverted into a socialist machine for federal control into the domestic affairs of the states. The federal government has no authority to mandate policies relating to state education, natural resources, transportation, private business, housing, health care, on down the line. We call upon the states to reclaim their legitimate role in the federal affairs and legislation and thus cause the federal government to divest itself of operations not authorized by the Constitution and extract the federal government from such enterprises whenever, whether or not they compete with private enterprise. So again, a state sovereignty position. Um, uh, they On trade, we strongly oppose unconstitutional trade promotion authority, which confers the transfers the establishment of trade policy from Congress to the executive branch of government. I mean, this is great. Um, you know, they, they don't support uh, corporate welfare, essentially. Uh, taxes, they say, should be reduced. Terrorism and personal liberty. Uh, the Constitutional Party opposes all violent acts of sedition, treason, and co- covert guerrilla warfare conducted on U.S. soil. Individuals responsible for these acts must be punished for their crimes, including the infliction of capital punishment where appropriate, etc., etc. Welfare. Uh, So, veterans. uh, The Constitution Bar appreciates the the contributions of our servicemen. We vigorously resist the attempt by any government agency to nullify or reduce earned benefits of veterans and their survivors. So, there are some things they bleed into, you know, a little bit of nationalist rhetoric. Uh, so this is where the Constitution Party gets a little bit off track at times, but I think overall they're the they're very solid on a number of, of good issues. Um, and again, if you're going to vote and you're going to vote your conscience, vote your conscience. I mean, don't worry about uh, you know saying, well, um, uh, this person I got to vote for Trump or I got to vote for Biden or whoever it is because if I don't vote for that, well, then the other person could. Well, if you don't. If, you, if you're a Bernie bro, vote Bernie. I mean, vote third party. Pick the Green Party. Uh, I read an article the other day on Ralph Nader, and Democrats are still ticked at Ralph Nader because they think he stole the 2000 election. Al Gore, to his credit, actually said, no, I just lost the election. Uh, but he also blames Florida. Of course, you know, all the judges stole it from me. But he doesn't blame Ralph Nader for it. The idea that Ross Perot somehow led to Bill Clinton's election has been debunked now several times over because... People that equally supported Clinton and Bush voted for Ross Perot. I mean, Ross Perot didn't lose that election for George H.W. Bush. George H.W. Bush lost that election for George H.W. Bush. He was awful. So uh, the fact is, Ross Perot had nothing to do with that. If you want to vote your conscience, go out and find a political party that meets your needs. But first and foremost, again, think locally, act locally. Focus on your state and local elections more than anything else. Focus on ballot initiatives, uh, these type of things where you can... I mean, we're seeing it right now. We're seeing what federalism does. The states are doing whatever they want when it comes to COVID-19. We're seeing that states can be just as tyrannical as the federal government. We're seeing that states violate their own constitutions. So you have to be involved in state and local government. These are people that are often ignored because we're going to vote for Donald Trump, and that's the only time I'm going to vote. Or I'm going to vote for Joe Biden. Or I'm going to vote for Hillary Clinton or Barack Obama or Mitt Romney or whoever it is the Republicans or the Democrats decide is going to be the nominee. It's the exact wrong position to take. The exact wrong position to take. 
So there you go. Uh, people have asked who I voted for. People have asked what I've done, what I'm telling you in this episode, what I've done for the last nearly 20 years. Um, and uh, I go through the Constitution Party because I think that it's it's fairly rock solid and um, there, there are some issues I can quibble with them on. But if you're going to vote, make sure you vote in those local and state elections. Vote your conscience in your federal election. It doesn't really matter. I mean, episode, listen to episode 51 because I get into this in more detail. And I'll see you next time on The Brian McClanahan Show. <laughs>